you were the sheriff and you were criticized for the deputy gangs. It wasn't based on evidence or facts. They couldn't even name one single gang member. For us, when we hear this idea of sheriff gangs, we kind of think that, oh, these people are there to commit a crime. Like every walk of life, we've had deputies who have been just bad deputies, criminal, racist, incompetent, overzealous, every combination in between, but every single one has been addressed. There's a very specific definition of what an actual real gang member is. Never existed on the department, but it was useful just for a political game. Los Angeles Sheriff Department has around 10,000 deputies. It makes it the largest in the country. The department has come under fire recently due to the reports of deputy gangs. My guest today is Alex Villanueva, former sheriff with Los Angeles County. He will explain the allegations of deputy gangs within the department, as well as its impacts. They created the monster. Everyone's going to claim that, well, the deputy that arrested me or my co-worker, he's a gang member. Therefore, I was injured because he was trying to get into a gang. What about the police force? Does it have an impact? What better way to demonize law enforcement than say, look, they're deputy gang members. Literally creating criminals out of honest cops that work for a living. I'm Siamai Korami. Welcome to California Insider. Alex, it's great to have you on. Welcome back. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. We want to talk to you about the deputy gangs. And, and there's a lot of news about it the last couple of weeks. And you were the sheriff and uh, you were criticized for the deputy gangs. Can you tell us? Well, it turns out the entire deputy gang thing was a political campaign. It was based on allegations anecdotal stories, and it wasn't based on evidence or facts. Nothing that you could take to court and say, look, what I got, you know, nothing. They couldn't even name one single gang member, but it was useful for political purposes to convince an unsuspecting public that, oh my God, the sheriff's department is out of control. We need to change the sheriff. So that's why you have Sheriff Luna now. But the whole thing was a false narrative, and it was pushed by the Board of Supervisors and all of their political appointees. And now that the new sheriff is in office, where's the evidence? Name a gang member. Now no one can name anybody. And now his own undersheriff has a tattoo from a station. Well, there's a difference in tattoos now. So everything, they're starting to backtrack on everything. And all I ask for is show me the evidence. Because when I was in office, every single case of misconduct, we investigated thoroughly, we took appropriate action from termination, suspension without pay, written reprimands. If it was a criminal case, we had the DA analyze it to see if there's a prosecution. In some cases, we're prosecuted. It didn't make anybody a gang member. No, there's a very specific definition of what an actual real gang member is. Never existed on the department, but it was useful just for a political game. So essentially, these were clicks or whatever they were reporting on? Was it just a group of people getting together like as buddies or, or is it? It's a fraternal social club, so to speak. In the 70s and 80s, there were hardly any females in patrol, so you don't see female members of these social groups in the 70s or 80s. 90s, uh, 2000 to present, there's a lot more females now in patrol and you have a lot more. However, at the same time, People are not into station tattoos anymore. There are a lot more tattoos on their body, but because there have been so much negative uh, press associated with station tattoos that people are kind of shying away from it, which is fine. 
we don't have a, I don't have a sheriff the constitutional right to tell you what you can or cannot tattoo on your body or what the tattoo says because I'm then I'm regulating free speech. I can't do that. It's, it's unlawful. The current sheriff somehow believes he can because he's being told that by county council. But that's the same people that said Measure J was constitutional until it got thrown out in court. So we need adults in the conversation. And what they're doing has serious consequences for the taxpayer because there's a lot of criminal cases, a lot of civil cases now where everyone's going to claim that well, the deputy that arrested me or my co-worker, he's a gang member. Therefore, I was injured because he was trying to get into a gang. And now they have to defend all these cases. And so they created the monster that's now going to harm them. They have to defend it. And it needs to go to court to be proven. All I asked for is show me the proof. And they never could. So for us, when we hear this idea of sheriff gangs, we kind of think that, oh, these people are there to commit a crime or, or kill people or average people in L.A. when they read those reports, this is what they're thinking. So th what you're saying is that these, are cl these were cliques within a station that may have matching tattoos, but they're just doing that, you know. That, and that, that was literally it, period. That was it. They had matching tattoos. Were they engaged in crime? No. Were they harming people? No. And my only demand was, show me that they're harming somebody and we'll address it. In fact, I created a policy that forbids any department employee from joining a group that harms any member of the community or their fellow employee. When these reports came out, they couldn't point out to a specific... Not one. In fact, they took allegations that were the basis of lawsuits as somehow a finding or a fact. No, it's an allegation. That's why in court, all of these cases keep getting thrown out of court. Cases where uh, a family of someone who died in a Depingval shooting, the Paul Rea family, for example, they had a multi-million dollar case in federal court alleging retaliation, harassment, deprivation of civil rights, all these things case got thrown out of court, lack of evidence. And the actual shooting caught on video of that person, the deceased, assaulting a deputy and had a gun in his waistband. And that, from that became a deputy-involved shooting. So they were trying to claim that somehow the deputy, well, he was actually, he was trying to get into the bandidos gang, you know. Uh, no, he was a deputy doing a traffic stop and a guy with a gun assaulted him. And it ended poorly from the perspective of the family, and it's any death is a tragedy. However, does not make the deputy gang member. He was literally doing his job, a very difficult, dangerous job in the best of circumstances. Now, is there money to be made if there is a case where somebody says, okay, oh, this, this, this narrative, does, does peop do people make money from it? Oh, it's, it's like winning the lottery if they can get the right case. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to get the cases settled before it goes to court. Because once you're in court, you have to prove your case. They don't have evidence to prove their case. And case in point, uh, a deputy, uh, Astroberto Gonzalez, Compton Station deputy, he's filed lawsuit twice in court claiming that he was a victim of uh, deputy gangs that were... Uh, Assault, he was assaulted by them, and they were doing all kinds of things, withholding backup and all these things. And 
So he was required, okay, let's see the evidence. And then his response to every question under deposition was, oh, it's common knowledge. Well, you can't take common knowledge to court. You have to actually show the evidence. He had no evidence. Case got thrown out twice in court with prejudice. He's done. However, the lasting damage of his allegations is all these other politicians and the Oversight Commission. Oh, my God, the allegation. In fact, you heard it reported in the news again and again, but you never heard the news report that all of his cases were thrown out of court for lack of evidence. That somehow, it never makes the news. It's not sensational. And it failed. The Art Hernandez et al. lawsuit from East L.A. station, seven plaintiffs suing. The lead plaintiff, Art Hernandez, on a deposition, he admitted that everything he put, almost everything he put in his allegation in the lawsuit was false. Yet the lawsuit is still going on. Even though the main character in all the allegations, he said, he has no evidence on anything. That is how the game is being played. And the sad thing is the public suffers the most because they're going to pay for a massive amount of litigation or criminal cases that are destroyed because of a false narrative that's harming the reputation of the entire department. So we had a guest on the show, Alex, that, that told us he was a former gang member and he said, you know, th there is, the gangs exist, because not in a sense that they go out and kill people or do wrongful things, but if there's a sheriff deputy killed by the gangs, then the sheriffs inside the jail or, or prison, they would go after the, the leaders of those gang members. Is this true? What are your thoughts on that? We've had suspects kill deputies on the streets and get arrested, and they're uh, held at our detention facilities. And we have very exhaustive protocols to prevent anyone trying to revenge, for example, the death of a deputy. And they're placed in, uh, in uh, the highest level of security, what they call K-10. They're uh, escorted by a sergeant. They use a video camera to escort, to tape it. And they're isolated from everybody else. And there's no opportunity for someone to try to do something like that. And that would be a criminal act in actuality. And so that, I don't buy that at all. And uh, every case we've had where deputies have done something, excessive force or unlawful force and not reporting force, they paid, they paid dearly for that, especially the unreported force. They can get them fired. So um, I don't buy that. But there has been malpractice here and there. Like, like every walk of life, we've had deputies who have been just bad deputies, criminal, uh, racist, incompetent, uh, overzealous, every combination in between. But every single one has been addressed. They've been held accountable, and that's what our department does. And I have yet to find someone tell me, ah, oh, but what about this? What did you do? Said, yeah, we looked into it. Turns out the allegation was false. In fact, we've had allegations that have proven false, and we've got it on videotape. But the allegation is what remains, not the fact that no, it was false and we caught it on tape. Prime example, one of the families that alleges that their, their son was died in a deputy-involved shooting, they were alleging that East LA deputies are harassing and following the family along. So the deputies are equipped with body-worn cameras. So September of last year, they're at a taco stand in East LA and Atlantic and Hubbard. They're buying their tacos. They're almost done purchasing the tacos. They're 
paying it, and they got the, the plates wrapped up in foil. And as they're moving the plates from where they bought them to the back of their vehicle, you can see some ladies running across the street and start yelling at them. And it was one of those families. And just yelling at them, you're killers, this and that, and I can't remember what they told them. But it was all caught on video. That family, they went to file a claim against the sheriff's department alleging that the deputies harassed them not knowing that they were all caught on video. So I put him on blast and said, no, this is what happened. And you initiated it, not the deputies. In fact, the deputies even said, this is why we can't even eat out here. We have to go back to the station to eat in the kitchen because of the harassment. So it was, uh, it was comical because they initiated the entire thing. So if they're afraid of deputies, why would you initiate a contact with deputies and yell at them? So false narrative so the media <coughs> takes each allegation and makes it something big mm -hmm. without really having yeah. oversight commission does the same thing and supervisor Solis they had all these allegations of deputies retaliating we looked into each and every case we could find no evidence remember everyone has a cell phone deputies have body-worn camera we can pull up the footage on anything where is it in fact, one of the families alleged <coughs> that the deputies were following around in their radio car, and they sent us a photo. Look, we got a photo of it. It was a California Highway Patrol. <laughs> so, so you can't make this stuff up. And we document it. We turn it into the Oversight Commission. We turn it into the Board of Supervisors. It was like 600 pages long, you know, because each one of these complaints, we had to thoroughly investigate it, send out a lieutenant, do a unit level investigation, all the things we did to clear each watch commander service comment report. And at the end, we ended up with absolutely nothing other than deputies just being professional. And what was the response from the Board of Supervisors? They continued with a false narrative. Oh, and they had a motion, you know, you know, demanding that the department stop retaliating and harassing families and all this stuff. And like, what are they even talking about? Because they don't care. They so they don't accept it because they, they don't that narrative gets it votes. doesn't is that it the, the narrative doesn't fit their false narrative. So when reality intrudes, they just ignore it and keep hey yeah uh, you know look at this. What about the police force? How is this impacting the sheriff department and police in general? The policing does it have an impact? Oh, it has an impact because it's part of this whole narrative from the far left to demonize law enforcement. What better way to demonize law enforcement than say look. They're deputy gang members. Literally creating criminals out of honest cops that work for a living. It's an easy way to demonize it. And they call them racist, call them oppressors, slave catchers. All this language has been thrown out there by the Antifa and the far left. The abolitionists. Yeah, let's get rid of all law enforcement so everyone can be safe. And the only ones that will be safe in that world are the crooks. The ones who are actually predators out there, you know, harming people but they don't care. It's part of the agenda. So we're seeing it now with the recruitment of cops throughout the entire nation. Every agency is having a hard time hiring because people don't want to be cops anymore. If you're going to be ridiculed, you know, you know, and you're going to be demonized everywhere you go, discredited, and then you're on the defense, you know, facing lawsuits just for doing your job. People say, well, I don't need the hassle. I'll find another line of work. That's 
a big threat to our democracy. Now, some people, uh, we, had, we had a former gang member on the show that he's, he told us that sometimes uh, the police force covered, when somebody makes a mistake or they have one bad police officer, they cover for him. And, and then it makes the whole force look bad. What are your thoughts on that? That has happened. I don't doubt it whatsoever. It didn't happen on my watch. Every single thing, every complaint that we got, we investigated thoroughly and we took the appropriate action based on the investigation. We don't take action based on allegations like some idiots out there want to pretend. No. You have to do it based on the facts when you complete an investigation. Okay, now let's, let's take action. And we did that every single time. In the past, including my department, I know this is also true of many other departments, you have a few bad apples that others don't want the exposure or the, the embarrassment, so they try to minimize the behavior and not hold people accountable. Well, you're not doing a, a service to your own organization if you're doing something like that. You know, shame on them. But um, there are bad people, unfortunately, incompetent people in every profession in every walk of life. There's also groups, cliques, in every organization. And the bigger the organization, the more there are. There's tattoos. There's uh, precinct tattoos in large police departments throughout the United States. The fire departments, they have their tattoos as well. Doesn't make them gang members. Doesn't make anybody a gang member. It's what you do. How big was it when you did the study? What was, what was the numbers of bad incidents or bad policing in your department when you did the study? Well, Cal State, Long, uh, Cal State LA did a study. We gave them full access to all our department's information, and they analyzed, uh, I think they did 10 years worth of uh, internal affairs investigations, and they matched it with the reporting of tattoos, and they found no correlation between deputy tattoos and misconduct. So the entire theory of the critics is out the window. There's no correlation. Even if there were correlation, as you well know, correlation does not equate to causation. But even that, they couldn't even establish a correlation. So that's, that's good news and something we knew right. We knew they are social groups. But when you address them and you publicly, we put on our website all the cases, all the discipline, every case, every deputy involved shooting, we put all the information so everyone can see what we're doing. Fully transparent. That's what every organization needs to do. And in law enforcement, most more so that's important if you don't then people are going to wonder okay what are you hiding and unfortunately a lot of organizations we've been sued so many times we've almost been sued into okay we finally got it right and we move forward that way but a lot of other organizations haven't felt that uh, evolutionary uh, stress of lawsuits and defending themselves so they're going to have to go through this they're going to have to learn on their own yeah let's let's be upfront let's be transparent hold everyone accountable. It works. And when people understand there's only one set of rules that applies to everybody, you can recruit people to the job. My first year as sheriff, we hired 1,100 deputies in one year. Where the rest of the nation were struggling, we did not have that trouble at all. In fact, we had a line wrapped around the building in Monterey Park to sign up to be deputy sheriffs. And that, that's important. It, it can be done. Before we continue, we would like to thank Shen Yun, for sponsoring this channel. I lived in China for two years and experienced two different Chinas. One is the China we know now, unfortunately with communism, 
And the other is ancient Chinese culture with 5,000 years of history, strong values, ethics and morality that has been lost. Shenyun Performing Arts is reviving this 5,000 years of Chinese traditional culture. It takes you back in time to magical world of ancient China with a unique blend of brilliant dancing, beautiful costumes, and legends coming to life. Go to shenyun.com to find out the schedule and theater information. It's a lifetime experience you don't want to miss. Book your tickets today. Now let's go back to the interview. For our audience to understand, like, in terms of incidents that go wrong in, in that you experience in your departments, what, what's the percentage? What's the number? Well, here's something people should understand. Every year, our sheriff's department, we make roughly two and a half million contacts with the public. That's two wow. and a half million. Wow. That's a lot of zeros. From that, we have, on average, about 30 deputy-involved shootings a year from wow. two and a half million okay. contacts. So now it's microscopic, right? From those, say, 30, on average, deputy-involved shootings per year, overwhelming majority is deputy responding to someone, a suspect, who is actively trying to kill someone or harm people and presents a real threat. Stopping a guy who just came out of the bank with a bag and a gun and say, stop, and the guy shoots, deputy shoots, there's a deputy involved shooting. Overwhelming majority are of that nature. For example, what we had in, in La Puente over the weekend, the barricade, Mm -hmm. That guy had an AR-15, he's shooting at everybody, shooting at the deputies. He ultimately killed himself, but that's typically what happens, all right? Very small, tiny percentage of those cases, you have what they call state-of-mind shootings, where the deputy thought that the person had a gun or was doing something. And those, again, it's state-of-mind. And now the attorney general, the state, if the person is unarmed, takes over that investigation, which is fine and we assist, and that works out fine. But you see how the number so big went so small. And during my four years as sheriff, we dropped citizen complaints by 31% reduction. We reduced uh, lawsuits against the department by 36%. These how are did you do that? We all did this, be one, by holding people accountable to the rule of law, which is very important. We didn't brush anything under the rug. We just held them accountable but we made the system fair. So my job as sheriff is to balance accountability with support. You're doing the right thing, I'm gonna support you. If you screw up, you're gonna be held accountable. You gotta do both things. If you can't walk and chew gum at the same time, you got no business being sheriff because some sheriffs were all about accountability. They couldn't even mouth the word support. It's accountability, let's fire everybody and let civil service figure it out horrible and they couldn't hire anybody and they wonder why well they became a jerk of an employer then you had someone like sheriff baca before that was all about support support and no one was being held accountable and then the department went to pieces and you know the fallout from that there has to be a balance between the two and that we found that balance you mentioned the recruiting we have challenges recruiting and that there's different information out there from even people in san francisco in la that there's a shortage of police officers what's the impact on on for for the average residents oh the impact is very big and they'll be feeling it very soon within the sheriff's department the county the board of supervisors imposed a hiring freeze on us and they defunded us year after year hundreds of millions of dollars then they took away 1,281 positions. 
and when they impose the hiring freeze, well, we start shrinking because as people retire, retire, or they transfer to other states, you shrink, plain and simple. So at our patrol stations, we were missing 30% of our personnel. Wow. Which meant the 70% that were left had to also work the 30% that was missing. So every deputy, we had to increase the amount of hours they could work on overtime a month from 96 to 120. That is 15 overtime shifts of eight hours. But there's only 20 shifts you work in a month. So they were literally almost every day they're working a double shift. Wow. And you imagine the toll that it takes on their families, their health, and all that. So we were starting to lose people just because the workload was too, too big. And that exodus is increased under Luna's watch because people don't want to work for Luna. So people are seeing on the street, why does it take so long for the cops to take my case or you know, show up when I have a, a priority call? Why is my case not being investigated in a timely fashion? Why is the suspect still running around? Why is the MTA full of transient sleeping? Well, there's just not enough cops anymore because the board saw it that it was more important to have less deputies. And now the, the community is paying the price. Now, does the perspective of politicians, because the politicians are the ones that, that they've been bringing this deputy gang and the media, mm -hmm. does, has that impacted the recruiting side of things for them? It does for some people. That's they're shying away from the department. Oh, that looks problematic. And one thing I learned: if you're a good employer and you have a reputation of being a good employer, your employees are going to recruit for you. We didn't have to spend money recruiting. I had 17,000 employees, and they would tell their family, their friends, their neighbors, "We're a good employer. You can trust your sons and your daughters' career with us." It's an important decision. If you're a jerk of an employer, reputation gets out there. Applicants, they talk to each other. And they'll tell you, hey, don't go to that place. I hear it's really bad over there. That's what's happening right now with both the Sheriff's Department and LAPD. Because their reputation has gone sour, people are not signing up. So their academy classes, not even half full. How long are they going to continue this until they admit, well, maybe our approach was wrong? They won't. And now for the politicians, um, the people in LA are soon going to feel the impact of the police shortage. Is, is that going to happen? Oh, they're feeling it already. If you look at, all you have to do is look at the MTA system, the trains and the buses, and look who's on the trains and the buses and who no longer wants to be on the trains and buses. It's a very telling story. It's, a, it's like a death trap. You know, you're stuck in a metal tube with people that are going through psychotic episodes, they're smoking dope, they're urinating, defecating, a horrific experience. And why should the passengers have to suffer that? Why? Because there's politicians on the MTA board who want to do virtue signaling. They didn't want to have a police, right? Yeah, because for, for them, there's an activist group. I can't remember the name of the activist group. They want to get rid of all cops on all the trains and buses because they say they're racist and they discriminate, they target, they love to use that word, they're targeting uh, young blacks and Latinos. Well, if the young blacks and Latinos are the ones causing all the problems on the trains, I do hope <coughs> they target the people that are causing the problem. And if they end up being that crowd, that should not be the concern of the MTA. The concern of the MTA should be 
getting people from point A to point B effectively, efficiently, in a safe and clean environment. It should not be a salt to the senses to get onto the gold line, for example. But that's what is happening right now. So wh what do why do you think these people think like that? It seems like the politicians, there's a big disconnect between the police and the politicians. And oh, the, yeah. The, and it seems like the citizens, the residents, are going to feel the pain. And yeah. we had actually a, a resident of LA on the show that said, you know, we're stuck between you mm -hmm. know, the police and the politicians, and mm -hmm. we are losing as a result of it. Oh, yeah, because the police actually talk to the people because they work among the people. They're not sitting in the boardrooms making all these lofty decisions. The cops out there on the street, they're not engaged in virtue signaling. But when you talk to Karen Bass, Holly Mitchell, Hilda Solis, uh, Janice Hahn, they all talk about, and you, all you have to do is listen and you go, ah, oh, they're virtue signaling. They're saying that law enforcement is bad, it's oppressive, and we need to free up our passengers so they don't feel intimidated by the presence of law enforcement. I'd say that is about the dumbest thing you could ever say as a politician, and they'll say it again and again. And then these activists will claim, well, you know, the deputies or the people don't want to see the cops around. No, their own survey says about 80% of the passengers want to see more cops. 80%. And they just ignore it. They ignore their own data. They acknowledge now that uh, crime has increased, what, 20, 21%, I think, on the MTA system? The homeless count, they got 57 homeless living on the trains and the platforms. 5,700. Wow. That's mind-boggling. Living on the platform. Living. And if you notice, there's no toilets on trains. Where do you think they go to the restroom mm. when they spend their entire day on the train? I mean, just the mindset of these people, it's, it's uncanny. Because they always say, oh, well, we're here to protect you know, people of color and women. But the people that are harmed are people of color and women in particular, and they're the passengers that have to sit next to the person defecating next to them. Who cares about them? They don't even see the victims, the passengers, they only see the person who is actually creating the disturbance. And they want to champion the cause of the person creating the disturbance. I don't give a shit. I want that person off the train because I want the train to be used for its intended purpose. Get people from point A to point B. I don't know how much clearer this needs to be. And if you look at all the transit system around the world, they're all tidy, they're all clean, they're the pride of every metropolitan area because they actually care about the passengers and the reflection it has on the city. Here the MTA board doesn't give a rat's ass about that. They care about their opinion among the progressive elites, you know, the pearl clutchers, the hand ringers, the people that live in gated mansions with security and 24-hour security and chauffeured limos, they don't get on the trains or buses. It's the poor people that have to. But they have to suffer the virtue signaling of the elite. Now, when you see all of this, how do you feel about it? Oh, it, it you know, it makes my blood boil because I've been on the trains. I've been on the trains in uniform. I've been on the trains in civilian attire. And I've talked to a lot of passengers I've seen it with my own eyes, people going through seizures and overdosing. It's like, wow, this is a system they created? It's an embarrassing. These people should all in resign in mass, literally, because they 
created the problem in 2017. The Sheriff's Department ran the entire system. We still run the Metrolink system. Metrolink system doesn't have transients living on the trains. They're clean. People use the metro system. There's no issue with them. When we were in charge of the MTA, we ran the trains and the buses. They were clean. People weren't living on them, using them as toilets or as shooting galleries. It worked. But in 2017, they decided to split it up into three agencies, uh, LA Sheriff, LAPD, and Long Beach PD. Then they created a metro court. And then they, create, they, hide, they created a whole uh, private security force. And they decided they didn't want law enforcement to handle quality of life issues and lower level crime that private security will handle that. They'll issue citations to their own metro court. It is a joke. They don't issue citations, and if they do, the metro court does absolutely nothing. And all this was done by the MTA board. They even went to Sacramento to get legis legislation to authorize their own court. And all it did is it took away the authority of law enforcement to actually start grabbing people and throwing them off the train disruptive behavior. So they created a complete new system just uh, for this. Just for that and has failed massively and they won't touch it or even point out the obvious. And that, it's a tragedy really because it's destroying the county and the MTA board specifically all of their decisions from 2017 forward has created the crappy thing that we have today and they won't even acknowledge this. Now, Alex, why are you so vocal about these issues now? Well, I care about, the, I care about uh, the county of L.A. I care about the state of L.A. And this is where I'm, I'm hanging my hat. I want it to be livable. And it, I shouldn't have to be in the position to arguing for common sense and a return to law and order. It shouldn't have to be the obvious. But it is, we're at the point now that we have to start stating the obvious. We need to return to consequences for doing bad things, reestablishing law and order where all the places has disappeared, introducing common sense into legislation, and the fiscal uh, decision making at the state level that's chasing away all of our wealth, all of the people that are creating jobs, they're on the run. And what does Sacramento come with? Let's do another legislation that attacks the ultra wealthy. <sighs> you got to stop that nonsense. We need to start bringing people back that are fleeing California. Did you ever think it would become like this when you were, when you were working in L.A. when you started? No, because I thought people were, were sane. And we had, um, I think Pete Wilson was governor, I want to say, back in those days. Duke Majin, I want to say, before Pete Wilson. And, uh, and then from Gray Davis forward, it started slowly devolving. And then the state legislature, as it took that sharp turn to the far left, all this, and it's all one party rule, it's all on the Democrats' hands. They, they need to put this on the resume. They failed the state of California, the city of LA, and the county of LA. All of their ideas are not working, and they're harming people, they're costing people's lives. And we got to do different than that. We need to reintroduce a concept of Republicans talking to Democrats, having everybody at the table with opposing ideas. Oh my God, you know, yes, our heads won't explode because you may be one party and me and another. Let's figure it out between the two of us and will we 
uh, disagree on, we'll agree to disagree, but let's move forward on what we agree on. We can do that. Heck, Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan, two old Irishmen, would share a beer every Friday and laugh at the antics of the week. That was a time when actually in even D.C. got a lot done. You had a Democratic, uh, I think, House and Senate. You had a Republican president. It worked. Worked under JFK as well. But right now, this one-party rule is not working. And uh, moderate Democrats need to start stepping up to the plate and calling out the nut jobs in their party, which is what I'm doing right now. I'm calling out the nut jobs. They're destroying the community, the state, and the party. And we need to bring back some civility and common sense into that Democratic Party. How are you going to run again? <laughs> uh, I'm uh, waiting and seeing and recovering. We, I'll, we'll, uh, that's that's a, a hard decision my wife and I need to make about what we're willing to uh, get involved in again because being sheriff for four years and under the gun all four years with a board that just hated my guts wasn't an easy task. We accomplished so much, but between the board and the media totally you know, on the attack mode for everything we did, even when we did the right thing, it didn't matter. It was bad somehow. So learned a lot, and uh, we're going to stay engaged and involved. And uh, at one point, we'll decide if we move forward, maybe at the county level, maybe at the state level. I don't know yet, but uh, I want what we do to be impactful. And now, what do you recommend to the average residents in L.A. that are seeing all of this happening? Should they get <coughs> private security? Should they... Well, the ones that can get private security are the ones that can afford it. But it's not the average guy living in a little bungalow, you know, on the west side of town or on the south side of town. They can't afford that. The people up in the hills, you know, the cocktail crowd, oh, they can afford it. And they already are. They already do it. They already have their gated, you know, mansions with private security. And, uh, but most people can't afford that. What most people need to do right now is they need to pull their head out of their ass and start connecting the idiot they voted in office, local, to the quality of their neighborhood. There's this disconnect. Every complains about who's in the White House, but they forget it's the local politician that influences the quality and the character of their neighborhood more than anybody else. Who is their city council person? Who's their mayor? Who's the sheriff? Who the supervisors are? Who the district attorney? is those are the ones that matter the most and then you start getting to the governor's level okay a little bit less but they can have enormous influence on how the counties behave and the cities behave because of the the control of the purse strings and the state legislature but most people are paying too much attention to the <coughs> national politics wrong thing is it the red team is it the green or the blue team and you know what comes out of dc that impacts us the only thing the tax code that's it. You could literally ignore everything else that comes out of D.C. The only thing that matters is the tax code. And are you going to get benefit, benefit from changes or are you going to get screwed come April 15th? That is it, really. It's what all the decisions that are made locally are the ones that are killing you. Look what happens in education, your school district. How many people pay attention who sits on the local school board in the weird things that go on in our local schools? local politicians so people need to pay attention who's in office if they're doing stupid things you need to yank them out of there
Now, do you have any other thoughts for our audience? I think people need to be engaged. People think that some, ultimately you get the government you deserve. If you're disengaged, you're not paying attention, you're going to have a bunch of crooks running your government at all levels. So we got to start getting engaged. We start, start demanding results, accountability, and transparency. Those are the words they use for the Sheriff's Department, but have you ever heard how accountable or transparent the Board of Supervisors is? No. They used to be fall, called the Five Little Queen or Kings, now they're the Five Little Queens, but they're, uh, they so remove themselves from all the, all the impact of their decisions that no one knows who is responsible. Alex Villanueva, former Sheriff of Los Angeles County, it was great to have you on California Insider. Oh, well, thank you. Much appreciate the opportunity. If you like the show and our content, you should go to InsiderCA.com and sign up to our newsletter because we never know what can happen with social media and other platforms in terms of distributing our content. If you'd like to come on the show and be an insider, you can reach out to us at CAinsider at EpochTimesCA.com. Again, it's CAinsider at EpochTimesCA.com. We would love to have you on the show to tell us what's going on in your field in California.